Hey, Mabel. Hey, Tori. Hey, playwrights. Welcome to Hey Playwright, a podcast about playwriting and life. Hey, Tori. Hey, Mabel. <laughs> we are sitting in a parking lot because, as we have done many times before, we are maximizing on our time together to record the intro for our new episode. And we have such little time these days, it seems like. We're just so busy that it's, uh, that here we are. Yes, it's a good busy, though. It's a good busy. As a matter of fact, today we are doing workshops with students who had the opportunity to see your beautiful play, Mm -hmm. Remember That Time, and oh stop (laughs) (laughs) but but it's it's just been a joy and it it was so fun to have that first workshop we're going to go in in just a few minutes and do our second workshop and uh yeah yeah um and I have to say my my script was all right but your direction Tori holy cow I mean we'll talk more about this we're still going like this isn't over and we have we have many more we have more shows to come than, than the yes. ones that we have already done, but we will oh, we talk do? about it later. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but, um, but Tori, let's talk about, because I feel like the conversation that we are sharing today, mired as it was with technical difficulties, oh, boy. <laughs> once we got going, it was a great conversation, but I think a lot of inspiring words that were so timely were shared with us because, um, you were were in a situation where you were kind of uh like I made you do something. <laughs> I made you schedule a table read and you were not ready for it. You felt I felt you were cuz I think like scheduling a table read is the best way to finish a script. And so um so you had a table read, but do you want to talk about that? Like what was happening? Yes, I I was I was having trouble just getting over the finish line, as it were. That, that's the, the best way that I can put it. Like, I had some scenes that I knew needed to write, but that I knew I needed to write to to fill out the script because there were definitely holes, right? Um, but I just wasn't sure. I just wasn't sure how to get there. I was really struggling with who was in those scenes and what that story was like I had lost I had lost some of my perspective about mm-hmm. about the script you know mm-hmm. um and and it felt painful mm-hmm. it was painful mm-hmm. um and there were a lot of other things going on I think that contributed to my anxiety like we were in the middle of dealing with the kitchen thing which mm-hmm. wasn't done at the time mm-hmm. I was starting to feel a little under the weather and then mm-hmm. I ended up with COVID mm-hmm. so it's like a lot of things were happening at once and a very and a part of that was the script you did say you just need to make the you know, schedule the reading and I scheduled it. And at the time did not know where we were going to be in our process with rehearsals. I don't think <gasps> that's right. Yes. yes. That's right. That's, that's why there was just even more anxiety than there had been before. Because if you'll remember, it was like that weekend was the weekend leading up to like our, what well, didn't we have like the, 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 we had the tech or mm-hmm. what was that day? It was like, yeah, no, uh, 
it, it was like the full, full run, through. run through. Yes. 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 There was so, so much going on. So we had a really oh, long Oh, it was the rehearsal. designer's run. Yes. Yes. Oh my yes. gosh. So, so there was a lot of pressure on multiple fronts, but I will say that we had recorded, we had had this conversation with our guest and I'm just going to say who it is, Anna Young Munch. We had this conversation and she offered some advice that helped me to get uh, to get through and finish those pages. And I knew it wasn't going to be perfect. I knew that there was still work to do, but that's the point of a reading. And I was trying so hard to make it perfect. Like that's just not, you know, I put so much pressure on myself for that. And I just needed to get those pages to some trusted actors mm -hmm. and my dramaturg. Hello, Mabel. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then my husband came as well to, to offer some input and it, it was so helpful. Uh -huh. So the conversation did give me that final push that I need. And that's why I feel like these conversations are so important. Yeah. Um, not just for us, but through us to everybody else listening who, you know, gets, gets some inspiration or gets a hot tip yeah. or a strategy, yeah. something. Um, but it did, it did help me. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm really glad. And I, I knew again for me, like the, the one thing is like, I always work towards deadlines. You know, if I, if there's a deadline, I am going to to find a way and what greater deadline than people showing up right. to <laughs> people showing up to uh to read your work and you have to have something for them to read because as we say all the time right you can't edit a blank page so yeah you just make those decisions and just like and and I think at some point you just stop being precious about it and realize this is a job and just like just earn that paycheck you know <laughs> like yeah. do the work and and uh you know but you'll have time to, to go back and, and look at it, but you gotta, you gotta get something, get something down. Cause I think I was, I'm working on a script right now and I think I was feeling the same, like, ah, but then I was just like, we talked about this yesterday cause we started recording this yesterday and, and you were like, what do you do? What do you do? And yeah. so, and I was literally experiencing that yesterday and was thinking, I told myself, cause I, cause you know, it's what, what do we tell the guys, right? It's like, you just, you make the decision and go with, you could always go back and go and fix it and whatever, but you gotta like keep moving forward. Cause, um, for me, I, you said that you, you revise like on the fly, right? I do. Yeah. yeah. So for me, it is, it's a psychological thing that I have to get the draft completed because suddenly I get the boost like, oh, it's done. The, the first draft is done. And then like, I can. I can breathe and I can go back later. But like, I think if I revise on the fly, like I just don't make progress. Cause I think that's what's happening with this other script that I'm working oh. on. And I'm like, no, you just got to keep moving forward. So yeah, it's oh, hard. Wow. It's yeah. Hard. Yeah. And everyone works in yeah, different ways. Sure. Right. Yeah. But I know for me, um, we've had conversations with other playwrights who, who operate this way where, they carry an idea around for a long time. They think about it, they turn it over, they talk, um, they have conversations with people about it just to unpack what it is that they are, that they are thinking about, that they're excited about, that they're struggling with. So I do that, um, I keep lots of notes. And then when I sit down to actually write, I do, I do edit as I'm writing. Mm -hmm you know, mm -hmm. or I'll write a scene and then go back and immediately start to revise it. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's why revision sometimes to me feels 
challenging because I feel like, wow, I've done so much revision already. Maybe mm. I should try your strategy mm. where I get it done and take a deep breath and then dig in to to revision. Yeah, I mean, but yeah. I but also like revision might be challenging for it because maybe you've already done the work. You that's know what, what I mean? I, like, what like I mean. so, like so. There's not so maybe there's no need for it. You know? No. So I it can always be revised. I mean. <laughs> there's always room. I mean. There's always room for revision. But then you hear. But that's when you have yeah. your table read, and right. then you hear it, and then you know. But and I have to say, I I re, I did appreciate the talents of those actors coming in, and uh, and reading it. It does. It, and it helps to have that discussion afterward yeah. and go, oh, what, you know, what, I, I, I did have specific things I wanted to know about and, um, yeah. And, and I realized that there's a character in there that I just love so much mm. that I would not mind giving that character more story time because I feel like that character is such a, an anchor yeah. in the script. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really liked it. So I think oh, you are, you. you are on your way, kiddo. You are on your way. I Thanks. Think. Thanks, coach. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep it up. Keep going. Keep going. Yes. That's, that's the bottom line, right? Yep. And now that um, we've gotten through some opening uh, showings of, of this play that mm-hmm. we've been collaborating on, mm-hmm. I can go back and do the rewrites that I want to do and then take it to the next step. Mm-hmm you know yeah for sure so yeah 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 it's been a, a whirlwind of a couple of months yeah. we still have so many great episodes to land oh with, my gosh but the <laughs> at the time it, the time just seems to it it's faster than a what are those the hourglass hourglass it's so fast right yeah it's it is it's really yeah i think if we stopped at if we like were to write down everything that's going on right now, it would be very <laughs> overwhelming. So I try not to think about it and just yeah. take it day by day. But, uh, but I'm like, I was thinking about it last night, Tori. I'm writing my chapter two. I already, I already submitted the draft of my chapter one. I'm on my chapter two right now, which I think is probably the most challenging. Um, just because it's the part, I don't super love writing a literature review and then and then we go to methodology and then like and then it's collecting data and I'm super excited about my topic and um so like if I can get over this which my this draft is due November 6th and then like like dude like I'm in it and I it just feels like oh and I think it's gonna move really really fast after that so I'm a little bit scared and trying to figure out what the way what it looks like after I'm done you know, I don't handle downtime well, so I'm no. already panicking, and I'm like, should I go back to school? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? We've already talked about possibilities with the podcast for when you are done. I know, I know. But I'm like, oh, you know, I can't. I Whatever. But Not anyways. only that, mm-hmm. you are doing so many cool things in the theater world. I believe you're just going to continue to get opportunities. I think that that's going to keep you very busy. I mean, I hope so. You're already so, very but... busy with it. Yeah. You've got a lot going on. Yeah. A lot that, you know, we can't share exactly right now, but it's all going to come out in future episodes where yeah. we get to celebrate. And yeah, I, I think that's, that's, this is just the beginning. <laughs> oh, just the beginning. We'll see. <sighs> but anyways, all right, enough about... Enough about us. Enough about us. <laughs> enough, enough about us. Let's talk about Anna. Oh, wow. I, 
I've wanted to talk to her for a long time. Yeah. Ever since I read Mothers. Mm. And we do we do talk about it on the podcast. I don't want to We had a go great conversation oh my about that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It it's but that's one thing I love about what we do is that you read a play and you wonder, wow, what is the story behind the story? Mm-hmm. I think it's just uh, such a kick to talk to a playwright and find out where, what was your headspace during this yeah. and where, where did that come from? And, but, but also that play, everybody <laughs> check it out. Check it out. It's on uh, new play exchange, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Um, well, and then of course, Man of God, yeah. and yeah, yeah, we talk just... about it. We talk about all of it, so it's going to be a great episode. But Tori, tell us a little bit more about, about Anna. Anna. Anna Oyoung Munch is an award-winning playwright and screenwriter. Her plays have been produced at the Williamstown Theater Festival, Natco, the Public Theater, the Geffen Playhouse, the Playwrights Realm, East West Players, Interact Theater, Theater Moo, and many other theaters across the country and around the world. And she also writes for TV. She's just extremely accomplished and a, a wonderful person to have a conversation with about writing and life. Yes, and so again, we had some technical difficulties yes. with this, but she hung in there with us, and then we ended up having a most marvelous conversation. So, without further ado, let us welcome Anna Oyoung Munch. So, you were starting to tell us about your experience at UCSD and and what that was like. Yeah. So, what's the secret sauce? What does uh, what what is UCSD doing to prepare these amazing playwrights? I mean, I think there's many things. I think the the um, professors are really fantastic, but I, I also think that a big reason, well, a big reason why I chose that program and um, one of the big learning experiences there that makes it a bit unique in similar programs is um, the production experience you get, that the Wagner New Play Festival happens every spring and um, it's a fully produced really festival of the work of the MFA playwrights. So in the first year you write a shorter play, I want to say like 30 minutes long, and that's in a, in rep or it's in, um, yeah, it's, I believe it's in rep or in series somehow um, in their black box space, but it's, you know, a fully rehearsed pr- production, but within a black box setting and more with that budget. And then in your second and third year, you're in the spaces at La Jolla Playhouse and you are having a much larger scale production, um, still with not the budget of a regional theater, you know, main stage production, but it's, it's you know, for, for grad school, like real, very realized. And um, one of the things that I felt I needed was to shorten the amount of time between when I had the idea for a play and when I was in production for that play that so much of my time was spent, you know, writing these plays, being super into them. And then it takes, you know, when you're an early career playwright, it can take like 10 years, five to 10 years to see it in production if you ever do. And um, I just wanted to shorten that amount of time so that by the time I was actually in production, I was still really interested in that idea. And I could use the production experience to really learn about the play and strengthen it as a piece of theater, not a piece of radio, <laughs> which I felt like I was getting really good at hearing 
my plays and because just the way that new play development works and what's accessible to you as an early career playwright. Um, yeah, so that was a big, that was the the big reason that drew me. And I do feel like that's a huge learning experience because you're working with the MFA actors, some undergrad actors, and then mostly I believe the MFA designers who are all fantastic. So it's a really, it's a really great production experience. And it's just so cool to like have an idea for your play in fall, be writing it, working on it, working on it all through the winter. And then you're in production in the spring. It's amazing. And you do that three times in three years. Oh, wow. That's incredible. That is incredible. That is the dream, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do think that's why a lot of strong writers come come through that program. It's mm. they do a great job of selecting great writers to come in in the first place. But I I think that the program really helps you um, get to that next level because you're just in it working in the way that we all want to be, but through the realities of you know the economy we're in and the the nonprofit world that we're in, it's it's really difficult. Yeah, here, here. You said something that that really resonated with me, and uh, it was about hearing it versus seeing the fully realized production. The radio, the radio play. <laughs> so true, right? I mean, I feel like we can easily throw together a reading. But that doesn't account for what the lights and sound and costume and everything else, how that's going to um, bring that production to life. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And and how do you, <laughs> Babel, I'm just going to ask that strategy question right now. <laughs> how do you stay excited or fall back in love with the play when you are kind of in that reading process like how, how do you how do you keep the, the the love alive yeah how do you um <laughs> no sometimes you fall out of love <laughs> but I do I guess I, no just as long as you're moving the play forward in a real way um I think that keeps you engaged with the idea um I also think that the collaborators that you're working with during those readings is important too. So, you know, making sure that whether it's about like really deepening an ensemble that you're working with repeatedly, that that's one way to, if you're, if it's just really working and you're getting somewhere and you're moving it forward in some way through multiple reading steps, then I think that keeps you engaged with it. Um, but or you're you're working with new people each time, and that brings its own freshness and a different take and different perspectives. I think that can also really help. So, um, you know, I at this point I am not doing a ton of the development. Like that's not really where I spend my time. So, um, and I've felt that just doing it less frequently makes it more engaging than went back when I was doing a ton of it. But then again, I was more engaged with it then. I didn't feel disengaged with it. I think now if I was doing the amount that I was doing when I was in my early career, I, I would feel a little tired of it and it wouldn't really feel, I'd feel sort of frustrated that I couldn't get to that production place. Um, but that's when I, when I started feeling that way, that's when I ended up going to UCST. So I kind of moved into a different 
phase, or at least the reality was different for that few year period. And I changed during that time. But, um, but when I was in my early career and doing a ton of these readings, I was learning new stuff each time. And there was a lot of work to do on the plays and there, you know, it was, it was productive work, but I, I reached a point where I was like, I think that this is kind of, I need something else now. I've been doing this for close to a decade. <laughs> I'm, I'm reaching the limit of what I feel I can learn from this, doing it in this way. And I need to shake things up. Did you ever in that process have uh, most of the play written or part of the play written, and then you took it to this trusted group of actors so that you could finish or get to where you needed to go to finish it? Yeah, I still do that. I mean, right now it's tough for me to be able to write a, a play. It's just hard to find the time between all the other things I'm juggling. And so um, I really rely on deadlines and collaborators' expectations of me <laughs> to be able to, um, you know, finish things. <laughs> um, yeah, so I do find that really helpful. Um, and I think I also am quite comfortable sharing incomplete work. I, I'm okay with that. It doesn't, uh, I think that that there was a time when I felt a little bit more like, I don't even know what this thing is yet. I don't really want to share it. And that's valid too, when you're at that place with it. But now I'm at a place where I'm, I'm like, if other people are willing to come in and, and help me and give me their perspective, great. That's, that's really, really helpful. <laughs> and, and, um, and yeah, and, and just something about having a group of people that are going to be in a room all together and they, you need to bring the script really makes you finish the script. <laughs> I so I so needed to hear this today. I totally asked you that for very selfish reasons. <laughs> like so, you have a workshop coming up. Well, it's a a, a reading, but it's I mean it's a, a closed reading just because I am trying to work out this part of the script, and but I'm feeling very irritated with it <laughs> with the process. I'm like, why can't it? I just are you doing it all it? in one day like you've got one day and so you need to finish it before then or are you like what I was... one day and then you have a day off to write and you're meeting again or no it's just a, a one a one day but but again it's very informal it's just Mabel my dramaturg and then a, a group of trusted actors but you know what um I I'm going to receive what you just said it was very validating and I'm <laughs> I'm going to take the scenes that are done and do that. So, so what I heard you saying, and sorry, Mabel, I feel like I'm man manipulating the conversation, no, go. but I, this, this is, is good for this, you, but this is actually something Mabel that you and I talked about before Anna um, came on. And that's when, when do you allow others to see your work? Like when you said you felt comfortable, even if it was. Yeah. I mean, I've shared work at many different stages of completion and at many different points in my career and, and development as a writer. And so there have certainly been times where I just tried something, brought it into a writer's group and was like, oh my God, I don't, this is such garbage. I'm humiliated. As soon as we start reading, I'm like, oh, this was a horrible mistake. And I can't believe I have to sit here and listen to the rest of it <laughs> because I already am throwing this in the trash. <laughs> and then you have to sit through the feedback part and you're like, guys, really, it's so bad that let's just 
can this. <laughs> we can please move on. Um, so it's trial and error. And, and, but then what you learn from that experience is like, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. It's fine. We're all just trying to figure out how to do this incredibly difficult thing over and over and over again. And it's just as hard every time. And it's, there's no judgment, especially in writers groups. I feel everyone gets it. There's no judgment. It's, it's not, um, it's, it's, it's fine. We're, we're all learning. It's great. <laughs> so, and you won't die. Like you won't, you won't die from, from being embarrassed and hearing, you, you know, bad writing read, read aloud. It's okay. You'll be okay. Um, ah. So I, I think it's, it's, it's where there are also times where I've been, I've shared a draft and I am getting feedback and I'm realizing that actually I just need to be encouraged to keep going. Like that's where I'm at with it. And it's, I already see all the things that are wrong with it to the point where I'm like really on the fence about if I'm going to continue, but I think that there's something there. And it's at that point, you kind of just need to advocate for what you need and want because it's your play. So you can just say, especially in these more low stakes development type processes, you can just say like, guys, I hate this thing, but I kind of think there might be something here. And I, I just need to hear stuff that's working or interesting, or at least, you know, making you think about stuff or feel things. Um, because I, I just can't, if I hear one more thing beyond already the giant laundry list of problems in my mind, I'm going to quit. So then yeah. they know what to give you. I think that that's, you know, the more you do these writers groups and readings and working with actors and private readings and all the things that we do to try and move our plays forward, um, the more you know how to use them effectively. Yeah. I I love that idea. The affirmation reading, Tori. That's what yeah. that's what yeah. Anna just described. <laughs> letting it front lo front loading that at the beginning of the reading, letting people know like so, so not going around going, welcome to the shit show of yes. <laughs> not not that. Maybe stop okay. saying that. Okay, okay. <laughs> um Anna, was in your catalog of plays, was there one where you were thinking originally, I just this this isn't gonna work or you know? I think every single one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you get an idea, you start down the road, you're like, yeah, this is great. And then, you know, you hit some problems and the easiest thing is not to solve them and not to keep going. Yeah. Uh, there, that yeah. is, <laughs> that's the thing, right? The easiest thing is not to solve them. <laughs> so it would be crazy if I didn't think about taking that path. <laughs> It is kind of, it's a it's a strange thing we do as play, as playwrights anyway. Um so the first play I read of yours was Mothers and I was introduced to Mothers through uh, a a class on writing horror mm. at for the theater Sea Maker in, introduced us to that play and wow I <laughs> I I love uh how you played with form and the bears and uh and Mabel had an opportunity to read it as well um so it it, it uh 
I think when I first started reading it, I, right away, of course, the 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 bears as children it's just so it's so compelling but then it takes these just dark dark turns it, it was a, a page turner but I so wish I could have seen it because you said it was done at UCSD right that was one of right. the full productions oh it was really yeah. it was really cool it was great they did a really great job man the the there's photos on the back of the that's from that production right from the wagon yeah. festival yeah yeah it looked amazing it looks cool <laughs> really really cool um yeah we had a float like a floating hot pink crib at a <laughs> precarious angle just hanging over the set the whole time <laughs> yeah it was great um so we would we would love to like get into it and just ask the question because you you disclose that you have children <laughs> so yes. we were curious about where in was was this script written before you had children or after like what where how does motherhood your your own conception of motherhood play into the development of the script or did it at all or was it you know something that happened way before yeah I wrote this play um I had a very intense entry into motherhood. <laughs> I guess that's the only, there's only, that's the only kind of entry into motherhood, but um, I uh, was in grad school full-time, um, you know, part of the UCSD thing is you also teach, you know, TAing kind of things, but uh, it's a lot, you're doing a lot of, you're doing a lot of stuff. And um, I was, I unfortunately had the, you know, my due date was like in the midst of the, the, school year. So it was just a challenge to figure out how I could kind of keep going through the program on the calendar. Like that production schedule also kind of dictates that it, it's difficult to take like a quarter off and then add on a quarter at the end. Like it just doesn't work that way. Um, so I kind of had to just keep going through school full-time while also, you know, I had an emergency C-section. I was back four weeks later, you know, full time. It was just nuts and horrible. <laughs> it's very traumatizing. Um, but uh, yeah, and that was also 2016. So I had my baby in October and then in November, Donald Trump was elected. <laughs> and I don't know about you guys. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> um, that was a and, dark, you know, dark day. <laughs> lived in San Diego and I, I, where the housing was that we were living was directly under the, the, flight path of the Miramar Air Force Base. And so like, again, if you remember early in Trump's presidency, there was a lot of like tension with North Korea and a lot of, there was, it really kind of felt like at any moment we could be at war or there could be an attack or something. And um, so the, I, and I'm sure the Air Force knew that and they were doing all of these drills all the time. So just constantly over you know, I'm trying to get this baby to sleep so I can do all of my work that I have to do. <laughs> and like, you know, I'm still bleeding. I mean, it was horrible. Um, and this, these planes, jet fighter planes are just like going over our apartment and, you know, it's old, not very nice housing. The windows are single pane glass. They're rattling like crazy. The baby oh, wakes up, starts oh. screaming. It was, it was pretty brutal. And, and because it's not a program that is really, um, I mean, I guess like grad schools, I, I I went to grad school on the 
older side for when people tend to go to grad school in this industry. And um, there were no, there were like other people who were in a similar life phase um, in the program. So I was quite isolated and really tried to find other parents, moms, new, new moms to, to make friends with um, in San Diego. And it's quite, uh, you know, there, I would, I felt like there was a culture difference between me and a lot of these moms that I was meeting when I lived there. Um, and yeah, so mothers was really, was the play I wrote as I was living through that time. And um, yeah, I, it, it reflects, I think the, the state of the country, the state of the world, my own state as a mom, um, the, the co community that I lived in at the time and the way that I felt um, it was just, you know, I'd have these conversations with people and, and it was like everything that I thought I was making a joke that would normally make the people that around me laugh, the people would just sort of be silent and look at me like I was really sad. <laughs> they were sad for me. <laughs> there are so many layers to that play as far as how important the sound is. And uh, now all of that, you telling that story about where you were in your life and what was happening. Wow. The fact that you were able to bring all of that into that play that both Mabel and I could relate to. Oh my gosh. My, I, our, our kids are, are 16, now. Yeah, mm -hmm. but reading the, the banter between the moms like it just like brought me back to that I mean that <laughs> who shows more judgment yes than new moms it's <laughs> oh, so true oh, yeah I think it's really born of of it, like the insecurity that you're in at yes. that stage yes. and the way that it's um everything feels so uh, it's it's like if you aren't if other people are making different choices than you and they love their children and want the best for their children and you also, but you love your child and want the best for your child, but you're, you made a totally different choice than that person. It's a really vulnerable place to be to, And it's difficult. I think when you're in that phase to realize that, of course, we're all different. We all love our kids. We're all doing the best we can. Other people's choices being different than mine is not a judgment on whether I love my children or don't love my children. <laughs> um, but it's it's just so hard to see it when you're in it and when you're new to it. And I think, you know, of course I knew like, there's no path through motherhood where you're going to do everything right. And yet there's this little voice in the back of your head that thinks, but maybe if I do everything right... <laughs> And my child will be perfect and my life will be perfect. And, you know, you're also not sleeping. Let's be yes. clear on yeah, that. It's, I, I was going to say that there's physically depleted. I mean, it's really, really hard. It's so hard. And, and um, of course, everyone is very fragile. <laughs> going through yes. That. Yes. But you even covered like uh, how judgy people are about breastfeeding or not breastfeeding. Or not breastfeeding. And then, and then what happens to uh, Vic and <laughs> Oh my gosh. So, so everybody, you need to read this play. Oh my gosh. Uh, not, uh, actually, I would love, I would love to see a production of it. 
but you you wrote about motherhood in another play too that was not on MPX. I was going to see. I had taken notes. Uh, what was the other one? It's a two character play. Oh, hundred days. days of darkness. Yes, I yeah. would love to read that one. Oh. I'll send it to you. Yeah, it's it's a play about um, a lesbian couple who one of the partners has just had a baby, and it's about that first hundred days, um, which are so difficult and so intense and just their relationship as they go through it um yeah but I, it's it's a it's a two-hander um it hasn't been produced I don't know I really love that play but it it um it's one that I just kind of have in in my back pocket but haven't really been pushing out into the world so much I don't know maybe I should oh, <laughs> yeah I, I just just reading the the synopsis I went oh my gosh this again sounds very relatable so yeah um but you most recently wrote and I know that playwrights center is going to do uh a reading of and I'm going to read the title it's long yeah your local <laughs> theater your local theater presents a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens again uh can you talk about that play which I read and really loved as well yeah that play um it's my most recent play uh I'm really excited to get to work on it um yeah especially in person and and having like a week to really work it it's going to be really fun to go to the playwright center for that um it's about it's set in the green room of a regional theater of your local theater and uh it is uh, it the takes each scene takes place in the 15 minutes before curtain before the Christmas Eve closing night production of Christmas Carol and all the characters in the play are the actors who are doing Christmas Carol and they're all in their costumes for Christmas Carol and each scene takes place you know it moves forward in time by you know some number of years between each scene um, and we're following an actor who's just out of grad school, acting school, um, starting his professional career, and he's playing Scrooge's nephew, Fred, um, in this production. And each scene is his return to this theater throughout his career, where he keeps thinking he gets to be done with Christmas Carol, and he doesn't have to do this anymore, and he, greater things are ahead of him, and he keeps finding himself back and back and back at the same theater doing the same production every winter. Um, and he ages through the male roles in the play and eventually is playing Scrooge at the end. <laughs> to keep health insurance, the things we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that would be so much fun for an actor to play and also multiple roles for the other actors to play, coming back and playing different characters. And oh my gosh, and it, yeah. It, th there was the gut punch at the end so thank you for that <laughs> <laughs> but but I thought too it kind of had this um that Groundhog's Day feeling to it where we're back in that same space and uh and and a lot of fun too I think for a designer to do as far as the set design because you're looking at that same green room and how does that change and yeah that's one Just of the things we want to work on. I'm working with Les Waters on this one. And 
one of the things we've been discussing and want to explore in the workshop that we're doing is thinking about how the space changes over time and maybe incorporating more of that into the script and the plot of what happens that if something gets broken does it get fixed between scenes or is it just going to mm. be broken you know for the rest of the production the whole you know the life at this theater I keep thinking about like you know a light bulb that goes out during a scene and then just no one fixes it and every single scene after that someone at some point tries to turn on that light and it doesn't work and they're like oh we should fix that <laughs> it never gets fixed <laughs> yeah your your plays just consistently with um it there's there's this interesting mix of of definitely the the dramatic elements but comedy oh my gosh so funny and even when you feel you shouldn't be laughing <laughs> you're laughing like uh, you're you're masterful at that so yeah that's really nice <laughs> Thank you. yeah I like to laugh <laughs> oh yeah we need more of that for sure oh and uh man of god oh my gosh we're friends with Albert yes of course yeah <laughs> well, he's and so fantastic I was just telling Tori that, so, so man of God, oh my gosh, this is a weird story. I ran the LA marathon, um, in 2020 and it was like, I think it was right around then that man of God had opened, right? Like, or it was like in previews. previews. It was in yeah. previews. Yes. Cause I was in, I was in LA and I was like, oh my gosh, I could go see Albert. Um, cause I got there on Saturday and, you know, marathon Sunday, but I was like, I better not. Cause it's, you know, like I should probably stay off my feet to do the marathon the next day. And then like the world, you know, the following week. So, but I hadn't, I, you know, I hadn't read the script or anything. Um, and then I was just telling Tori, uh, I'm actually glad that I didn't see Albert in man of God, <laughs> because I, I, Albert and I went to, uh, to junior high together and have Aww. known each other ever since. And I adore him. I think he's such a talented, wonderful human being. Um, you and see his kidney get cut out. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to see him be the, the guy who he is in that play, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's really good. He's really, really good. In oh, that part. I mean, gosh. he's always great, but yeah. Yeah. He did an incredible performance. But that that script is really I mean, it's we saw, you know, we interviewed Andy Lowe about the the the, the saw the, the clip of the choreography that happened during oh my gosh. that that fight scene that was incredible. But like, yeah, but at the like there's a lot of there's whimsy and there's um there's these funny moments, but there is a heaviness that carries us through the end. Oh, man. That is, that is, oof. and you yeah. really capture, captured the voices of those teenage girls. I mean, spot on. I have one in my house. <laughs> <laughs> we were all, we were all them once. Yes. <laughs> this is true. This is true. So is, is there anything, any unexpected, um, things that came up from that script because it's very heavy right and the subject matter of what it's about um is is very it's very intense right so like did did you hear from audience members about like any any reactions that they had that that kind of surprised you or or again affirmed the story 
Yeah. I mean, I heard from a lot of people who have experienced abuse and it was gratifying to hear that, that I got it. I got it right. You know, it's, it, that's, I think that, that what I was really interested in with this play was figuring out how to, um, how to be honest about what it's like to be faced with this kind of situation or, you know, just sexual abuse of, of many different kinds, but just the experience of it, um, especially when you're young, um, there's a, there's a power dynamic at play that I think is often missing from the conversation around these things that, that in the long after it happens when you're sort of litigating it and talking about it and and this thing that happened many many years ago to someone when they were really young um that there's this attitude of like why didn't you the victim do x y and z and i'm sitting here from a position of security safety confidence and looking at it really clearly because of my ability to think because <laughs> I'm not in a, in a panic situation. Um, my brain is working differently and I'm older and I'm removed from it. And I could say like, you should call the cops. You should have done this. You should have done that. Well, you know, first of all, when you're in, when your brain is, is just either frozen or in panic, um, you're not thinking that way. And then second of all, if you're a child or a teenager, um, you're not thinking that way. And then dealing with the power dynamic that's almost always present in those situations um, and all the baggage that comes along with it, because it's usually someone, you know, um, so they're in your life in some way and they know people, you know, and they are, there's an ecosystem uh, that, that you're both a part of and pulling at that thread unravels other things. And you're aware of that and they're aware of that. And, um, that's sort of the thing that's missing. And yet, I, so I thought a lot about that as I was working on this play and realized that, you know, we've been trained by movies, TV, these revenge narratives that are so satisfying to watch that are all are mostly, you know, the classics are written by men. <laughs> um, they shape the, our expectations of what a good victim looks like and what a strong victim looks like. Um, and what power looks like and how you fight back. And it would feel so good if you were able to do those things, but the reality is really different um, when you're in the situation. And also, even if you were able to, you know, kill this person, is that a really, is that what you want to do? Do you really want to have murdered someone <laughs> and ended their life? Um, is an in, in all seriousness, is that proportionate to what they did to you? Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that that would necessarily, I think it would, it would, um, even if it were to feel good in the moment, I think that would cause a lot of trauma to someone as well. <laughs> um, all this to say, you know, that's, that's kind of where the revenge fantasy component came from for that play. And um, I think that looking at uh, the experience of abuse from a really honest place did seem to resonate with a lot of people who have experienced similar things. When you first started this writing the play, did you know how it was going to end? Did you did you have that ending in mind? 
Yes and no. I knew that I was interested in the mo in the play taking place between discovering the camera and whatever that confrontation with the pastor would be. And I didn't know exactly what that confrontation would be, but I did know that the honest thing would not be for them to kill him. That just not, it's not, it would feel good. The audience would love it, but it's not realistic. It's just not what would happen. And it's not, it's, it wouldn't be honest to what I was trying to do. So I um, tried a lot of different things and ultimately landed on this idea of, you know, Kyung-Wa, who's the, who has already experienced abuse long before the play has taken place. She is the most unchanged through the story. She's kind of already been shaped by what she's had to survive before the play took place. And um, ultimately I felt that, you know, it wasn't, it wouldn't, again, it wouldn't be honest for her to have a revenge fantasy because all of these other characters are kind of wrestling with this for the first time. And that's why they have this fantasy scene happen. But for Kyung-Wa, that moment is long gone and she doesn't have that. But I felt that she was actually the one who was in a position to change and to take action at the end of the play in a like in a step forward kind of way. And so her standing up to the pastor in a small and subtle way, but nevertheless a really momentous way for her character, ultimately I landed on that and felt like, okay, that's that's what ends this play that we see this character who we've kind of felt like she's, she's lost. She's gone. Like there's no, there's no hope that she can change. She's had every opportunity to change and she has not changed to see that character change as a result of watching how these other girls have crumbled um, felt really right to me and felt like mm -hmm. a big step in terms of her growth as a person. And, and again, what felt honest in terms of, what it's like to, you know, move forward in your life after abuse has occurred. Yeah. It was a, um, it was a very unexpected, but very satisfying ending. I thought it felt very, yeah, felt, I would just was like ugh, that little tiny moment of that, that shift. Right. But I, yeah, it was really, I really, really, um, this is a very powerful script. So Thank you. I do hope to see it one day, just not with Albert playing the pastor. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> I you, hope so too. there's the moment where one of the girls calls her mom and oh, that uh, denial, lack of help, lack of support. Oh, oh, that just really got me. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Talk about raising the stakes at every turn. Mm. <laughs> yeah. When you're like trying to grab onto any rope for help and there's no one. Yeah. 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 That was a big part of, of structuring that play was really thinking through, you know, that's part of why I was so interested in that period where they're just on their own between the discovery mm -hmm. and the confrontation where I was thinking like, okay, they're totally isolated. They're on their own. 
they, you know, they're in a foreign country. They don't speak the language. Like now it's like, that's starting to feel like a play to me <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and thinking through, like, there are actually very limited options for what they can do and what is available to them and what they can think of. And, and, um, being able to sort of move the story pieces forward, um, in real time through that, that scene, uh, was really satisfying to structure. All right. Changing gears completely. Unless Tori, did you have any more? Okay. I just, I have to say that I had the opportunity to see birds of North America. There was a production here in San Diego at Moxie theater and oh my gosh, what, what a, what a departure from mothers and from man of God. And, and, you know, by the end it was just like, (laughs) but it was so beautiful. And I am not, I'm not a, a nature person. <laughs> Tori, and Tori, you didn't get a chance to see it, right? I but you know. Tori loves birds. So oh, she yeah. really loved. But talk a little bit where that piece came from. Because it's so like, so sweet and so just a beautiful, the evolution of a, a relationship between a, a father and his daughter. Yeah, I mean, I, let's see. Well, yeah, I, I, I would say that my work is, is very different. Like each play, I'm always interested in trying something new and learning something new, setting myself a challenge that I haven't done before. Um, so yeah, like I, all of my plays are, are pretty different, (laughs) I think. Um, but yeah, I, with birds, um, I think I just started kind of by writing. I was just like, okay, I haven't really done one of those like family drama-y plays about really a relationship. So like, let me think about that. And, and the practical thing was knowing that, um, you know, we have these opportunities for production each year at UCSD. I knew that there was a limited pool of actors. Um, there were a lot of other large cast plays from the other writers that they were working on. And I was thinking to myself, like, all right, I don't really want to, get into a situation where there's just not enough actors and we have to start like casting a bunch of undergrads who maybe aren't, you know, quite, or, you know, like then, then it just becomes, it becomes really tricky because they're a lot younger. Do you, are you going to have them play like a 65 year old man? <laughs> like right, they're right. a teenager. <laughs> um, so it, it, some of it is just the practical the constraints, which, which always lead to more creativity and to, to new exciting discoveries, I think. So that all of those things were kind of on my mind. And I started just exploring a father daughter scene. And I was thinking about, you know, what I wanted to write about. And I've, I had long been interested in trying to write about the experience of climate change. And I guess I, by that, I mean more the emotional experience as a human, as an, you know, human animal on this planet. Um, I think that there are some deep emotional components to the experience of climate change it's not theoretical we are living it and it affects um it also because it is changing over time and changing our world around us it really affects our nostalgia our memories our ideas about the future our ideas about our children um it it keys into this incredibly primal part of yourself i think and it it makes you contemplate mortality it's a really um profound emotional experience and I hadn't seen anything 
at that time that had really explored that effectively. It, it everything I had seen felt very didactic and very um, uh, educational, mm-hmm. and not that that's bad or you know that's necessary too. But I I wanted to to look at that emotional component. So um, birding felt like an activity for this these you know something that these characters were doing together that would give some kind of um, structural mechanism to the play would create um, opportunities for really interesting movement and choreography really um, in the piece and 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 also like a, a something that allows them to come together and move apart and like when they can use the binoculars to hide from each other when they can use you know when some when they see something and it brings them together um it, it felt it felt like a really rich, world for them to be in um and then you know the idea of moving through time felt very important when it came to the climate change element so that that kind of helped me discover the structure um and then i was also interested in the way that that relationship itself could kind of be um you know there's there's just like we can't go back in time and undo the policy decisions that have led to climate change. You also can't go back in time and unsay things that you said to someone that hurt them. And um, I think that that it felt like a really right metaphor or environment or relationship to, it just felt like a good partner to what the, the what I'd wanted to write about. I need to read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's also, you can come see it if you want to come up to LA. It's at um, the Odyssey Theater. Till oh, that's the one they're doing here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it is it playing now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Tori. Yeah. We opened in late September and we're running through November nineteenth. Oh, sweet. <gasps> oh, I wonder if we can go. I used yeah. to. I was in a um, theater group where we worked out of the Odyssey when I lived in LA. That's yeah. so great. It's a Yay. cool space. I really like the people there. Yeah, yeah, and it's some of the same people that were there. A long time, a long yeah, time ago, like 20 years ago. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to say one thing. Um, I was late to the severance party, but <laughs> but about it was it was a while back. I remember telling Mabel that because we didn't have Apple TV Plus for a minute. <laughs> but then when we got it, and this was probably six months ago, I binge watched. I said, you got to watch the show. But what, what happened one night, because I would watch it in bed and my husband was asleep and I had read mothers and your name came up and I, I didn't know. And I screamed. If I said, Anna, she, she wrote mothers. He's like, seriously, like, yeah. I woke him up, up because <laughs> I, I woke him up because I was so excited to see a playwright writing whenever I see a playwright that is attached to something like a movie or um or tv writing I go look look at this it's so good no life is so good yeah that's right that's why it's so good well life is good and that is why it is so good absolutely because I just I feel like playwrights understand uh character and I don't know you can just dig in and 
in a way that, okay, well, no, I don't want to say that, but I just, I believe playwrights are, there's something about theater, even with theater actors, I think making that transition into film, right? I, yeah, 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 definitely. It's, yeah, it's a great show to work on. I'm, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> it's, I love that show and I'm excited to see Thank what you. happens next. Uh, All right, Tori, asking for a friend. You have to find it. Uh, okay. Here we go. If you had to choose a toy to represent you, what would it be and why? Brought to you by mothers. <laughs> <laughs> a toy. Um, I think I'd probably be a puzzle. <laughs> oh, that's oh, a good that's answer. Really good. And like one piece would be lost. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> sounds like all the puzzles at my house 999 be, yeah there's always a lost piece and you spend all this time working on it and then at the end you're like wait where's that piece <laughs> um you I don't know I also just kind of like I think my brain kind of loves the puzzle solving part of writing too so I think about puzzles a lot um you can always make a new piece and stick that one in try that because that's that Anna that literally has happened I've done like the last two thousand piece puzzles I have they have been 999 <laughs> both of yeah them. take it take it like a cereal box and then trace trace the miss put it underneath and trace the missing piece and then cut two layers and glue them together and it's pretty good I'm gonna I'm gonna have to try that <laughs> it's very frustrating yeah, Mabel, you shared about that not not that long ago, didn't yeah, you? I yeah, I love puzzles. I do yeah. love puzzles because mm -hmm. it's like all the answers are there. Yeah, and you just have to figure it out. Except when you're missing the until one. they're not. Yeah, until you, until, yeah, <laughs> until you realize that they're not. Um. Okay. Cool, Anna. Uh. So, do you have a writing exercise to leave our listeners with? I do, and it is um. It's a visual exercise, so I apologize, but oh, it's the only writer's exercise that I've created that I feel is any good. So it's the one I always use, um, but I like it. I think it really is good. So what I, I call it the hourglass exercise. And um, the way you start is you take a, a sheet of paper and you essentially draw the shape of an hourglass on it. So you kind of like draw two in, inverted parentheses coming together and I'm holding up like that oh yeah an hourglass okay. shape yeah and then you write a scene between two characters that must each each line must expand the whole center part of the hourglass like from end to end um and that can't go beyond that can't no two line lines just one across per character. And you go from the top down through the middle of the hourglass and then down to the bottom as it gets bigger at the bottom. And um, so as you can imagine, you know, the lines are longer at the beginning of the scene and then they get sh shorter and shorter and shorter at the middle of the scene. And then they get longer and longer and longer toward the end. And um, and really the idea is not to like write a super, super long scene, like like really tight together, it actually works better if you allow yourself to kind of have big handwriting and, and just like go for it and write across and then skip a couple lines, go down to the next one. Um, 
And what I really love about this exercise is it teaches you a lot about how there are these technical things you can do as a writer to change rhythm and pacing and, and that affects the energy of the scene on an emotional level. Um, that you will, you know, the characters will start out talking a little more rationally with each other because they have the space to do that. And then they start interrupting each other or they start, you know, holding back and clipping their words. And then they're either, yeah, in the middle of the scene, they're either really stepping on each other or they are, um, they're barely communicating. And then that opportunity to lengthen um, their lines toward the end comes to some kind of resolution. And I found that you actually kind of create an arc, no matter what you end up start writing about, if it's just totally, you know, the idea is stream of consciousness. It's not, you don't think about anything. You just stream of consciousness, write a conversation, go. Um, and it, you will find that there's drama in that scene because of the physical constraints of the lines. Um, and I think that that's often something I like to, to do when I'm teaching um, intro classes or rewriting because both, it's just so helpful to, to understand the ways that you, you, you have these, you have these tools at your disposal. You just don't even know it necessarily sometimes. Amazing. I love that. That is so, that is such a cool exercise. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to share that with our, <laughs> with our people, our non-listening audience. Our non <laughs> we can try different shapes too. You know, like if I, I got into it one day and I was just trying different shapes and seeing like, what does that do to the scene? If you make a diamond and start short and get long and then get short again, like it, it changes the shape of the scene and the arc of the story. Dude, that's very cool. It's very cool. And there's something about hand writing the the scene out and and also we all access information in different ways with the different intelligences and so having um something visual I think can be a, a great way to access information if you are stuck or having trouble doing it in the traditional <laughs> typing it yeah the handwriting yeah. is so, yeah and the idea yeah again it's really not about it could be characters from the play you're working on. It doesn't have, it really is just, oh. it's more of a technical thing. There's oh, that this, test. Is that, oh, this is that alert. It happened. Oh, that everyone's like, your phone's going to blow up at this time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you got to leave that in, Mabel. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gotten mine yet. Oh, here it comes. Oh, there it is. There it is. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we're all, we're all informed. Yeah. There's that an emergency is, we're going to know. <laughs> that is bonkers. That is, because supposedly the president can come and, and like, right? Isn't that, wasn't that the thing that, that the, the, idea? The, the president can, can speak to you? Um, <laughs> This alert is, has, yeah. Yes. Huh? It's, that's what the, I got an email from oh. my kid's school, like detailing what this was all about. And it went in that email. Okay. Oh. The president of the United States. Apparently, this is his platform in the event of an emergency situation. Wow. Good times. <laughs> Anna, 
Thank you so much for spending time with us and having this great conversation. Where can people read your work, learn more about all of the incredible things you are doing? Um, my work is on NPX and a bunch of my plays are going to get published by TRW in the coming year time frame. I don't know exactly, but sometime soon. And um, I have a website, um, AnnaOYoungMunch.com. And uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's it. I'm not on the, I'm not on X. I'm not on the, I'm not on Instagram. It's, I, I don't have time. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Well, once again, thank you. We had so many times. This was like, Tori, I think this one was the the episode that had the most, the record for most te technical difficulties we've <laughs> ever had in our six seasons. Like, and we're ending, we're like nearing the completion of our six season. So Anna, thank you so much for your patience and grace as we work this all out. Yeah, thank all you. Good. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. I'm glad we got a chance to chat. Oh, Tori. Uh, I, I'm so grateful to Anna. Yes. <laughs> so very grateful yeah that was a really good conversation and i'm i am grateful tana for you because <laughs> i feel like as she was saying it i was like thinking this is exactly what tori needs to yeah. hear right now yeah so it absolutely was that's magical and i and i'm and i'm grateful also for me because it's something that you know i think i can also use but you more pressingly yeah to there was there was definitely I was feeling the pressure and it helped yeah yeah oh my goodness uh what do we have going on next oh my gosh Tori <laughs> well we have we have um we, we have more work to do yes right mm -hmm. um with with remember that time and um we, well we got another one in the hopper That's so right. there's another mm. play of mine that you're going to be directing um that i am starting to i'm giving myself a week before i start that because i actually have to wrap up a couple of other projects before but like hit the ground running next week on that one um because that's going to move pretty quickly i think but yeah are you so wait i think i don't even know if i formally asked you did i formally ask you hey tori will you direct that play <laughs> or was it like just assume like Oh yeah, so you'll be direct. I don't know. Did I? Even I don't ask know you? if you did or not. I think. <laughs> I think it might have just been a. Oh, of course you're going to direct it, and and of Oops. course I will. That's so <laughs> rude. Okay, let me <clears throat> let me go on record here on Hey Playwright, uh, Tori. Would you do me the honor of being the director for my next play? This is like a wedding proposal. Yes, this is a promposal because we are in, we are in a high school parking lot. So <laughs> yes. Yes, I will. <laughs> I accept that offer. <laughs> Great. Okay, cool. Uh yeah, so then so that'll be coming up. Um and then uh and then God, we really do have so many good episodes left. I know. Uh, and you know what's beautiful is that they connect. Like there's two yeah. that are like, uh, which we didn't know about that connection. Oh no, we did. We lied. But I didn't I didn't know that connection was deeper than right than what it is so we'll that's exciting it's just exciting we just have uh, you'll you know. hear it'll be in the next yeah. the next two episodes yeah go, oh that's uh, what they're talking about yeah <laughs> so so yeah i mean you know our guests are connected yeah yeah very exciting 
All, All right, right, Tori. Well, well, let's go in and spread spread the good word yes. of playwriting to this next group <laughs> to the youth, of high school students. The youth of America. Yes. Cool. All right. So until next time. Bye, playwright. Bye, playwright. Hey, Playwright is produced by Tori and Mabel. The voice you hear at the top of the show is Freddie Padilla at BK Spidey on Instagram. If you like what you heard, rate, like, subscribe, tell your friends, follow us on all the socials, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.